0: morning we are in Mark chapter 3, so if you'd open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Just six verses today. Um, There's so much activity in the gospel of Mark. I was was challenged, wondering if I was going to teach the whole chapter. I told Debbie in the morning I thought I was going to do the whole chapter and then quiddled it down to six verses. But I think it's better that way that we kind of keep one main thought for the morning. And so this message is entitled Confronting Man-Made Religion. And this is what we see Jesus doing here in Mark chapter three. So let me read verses one to six, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will dive into our time of study. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand, and they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." And he was and he and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you every hour. Lord, every day of our lives, we need you. We need to understand you. We need to have our minds transformed by your word so that our hearts and our lives can be changed and so we can be in alignment with the goodness of the lives you died to give us, Lord. We want to we walk on your narrow path, Lord. We don't, we don't want the broad road that leads to destruction. We want the, the narrow path that leads to life. And Lord, we need to know you and we need to grow in our knowledge of you and we need to hear your voice and, and be sensitive to the moving of your spirit, Lord. And we want to be changed by you and need to be changed by you and we're blessed to be changed by you, Lord. So have your way with us as we study your word today, God. Speak to us, Lord. Make it real for today in this place and in this hour, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look at your notes, if you would. Um, The the title of the message, as I said, is Confronting Man-Made Religion. Now, the word religion has really gotten a bad rap uh, in recent years. You may have heard this phrase, spiritual but not religious. It's a a way that people like to describe themselves these days. I'm spiritual but not religious. So it's kind of a pushback on what is considered organized religion. Uh, They call themselves SBNR. So if you're having coffee and said... You know, do you believe in God? They might say, I'm SDNR. So now you don't have to go, I'm sorry. I was, you know, are you okay? Is it terminal? You know, you don't now you know what it means. You know what it means. I'm spiritual but not religious. So that's what that means. Popular phrase among many people today. It's it's a phrase used to self-identify, just read the quote, a life stance of spirituality that takes issue with or objects to. It's a lifestyle that objects to organized religion as the sole or most valuable means of furthering spiritual growth. So basically, this would be, co- this would be considered organized religion simply because we decided that we're going to meet on Sundays, and there's a time, and there's a place, and there's uh, a staff, and there's a book, and so it's kind of organized, and we all more or less decide that, we're, yeah, we're going to agree that this book is our source of truth, and, and so that would be called organized religion. in in some people's minds. And some people, I understand, and I understand there's good reasons for people saying, I don't want anything to do with what is called the organized church, because quite frankly, the organized church has been guilty of many, many things, wrongdoings, abuses of power, misfocus, hatred at times. So I understand all that. So I I believe the spiritual but not religious self-identity is a pushback from bad experiences with what is called organized religion. Guys, there's some pastors I don't want to be around. Sometimes I don't even want to be around me. But I'm, here I am, stuck with me. But there's other guys that I just don't want to be around. They're, they're, in my opinion, and these are guys in my tribe, in my clan. There's guys that I think are kind of proud and arrogant and on their high horse and look right past people and it, I believe kind of pushing powerful agendas and all that. I don't want to be around that. But I still want to be around Jesus. And Jesus is found in this book and Jesus has a thing called the church. So we always need to be navigating kind of that tension. But some people have kind of abandoned the whole idea of church and they say I'm spiritual but not religious and I'm against organized religion. I I like to kind of debate people like that and I would say, well then, how do you define what you believe? Well, I believe this and this and this. Oh, so you've organized your thoughts. You have an organized religion, but it just is in your mind, but it's an organization of thoughts, and your friend has an organization of thoughts, and that friend and that family and those people have an organization of thoughts, and so because you've organized your thoughts together, now you have an organized religion. Does that make sense? So we all, it's like it's the old saying, birds of a feather flock together. So they, we're going to like, like, likes like. We like to be with people that we like, and so it's always going to happen. And so I think it's a little bit of a, Hmm, shall I say it? A little bit of a cop-out. Because we're going to kind of replicate that thing somewhere else, except that we're going to put ourselves at the center of it, and we're going to determine what we like and what we don't like. That kind of idea. So. But the word religion has gotten a bad name because of abuses in church. I understand that. And I understand why people are, are angry in some cases. I am too. By the way, Jesus is angry too sometimes, at the way things go. Now, just as, as Christians... We often say that Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship. Right? How many of you guys have heard that before? It's not, okay. Yes, it is a relationship, but Christianity is a religion. And religion is not a bad word. It's gotten a bad rap because of those who abuse religion. But look, look at your notes, James 1. If anyone among you thinks he, thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, now. God, through James, tells us that religion can be good. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So guys, Christianity is a religion. Religion is not a bad word. I see Christians making YouTube videos saying, I'm not into religion, I'm into relationship. Well, no, you're into religion too because if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's based on the Christian religion. But the, the, the whole word religion gets jettisoned because of abuses, and I understand that. So you guys, you guys are tracking with me, right? You guys understand that. Christianity is a religion, but it's a religion that leads us into relationship. Now, there is religion that does not lead us into relationship. And that's what we want to avoid, and that's what a lot of people push back on, and they should. If there's a religion that dominates you and hurts you and stifles you, and I mean, from, from the, the blessings of God, if it prevents or delays the blessings of God, that's man-made religion, and we don't want anything to do with that, and we should push back on that. So this is what is at issue here in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to just go, go through the verses. Verse 1. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So just notice, passing, Jesus made a habit of being in church. Jesus, it was called the synagogue, they were, they were practicing Judaism, but Jesus made a habit, we often see him gathering together with God's people. The, the, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not be forsaking the assembling of the saints as is the manner of some. So you guys are here, we're assembled together, Hope, hopefully you're a saint, as Raul Rees would say, if you're a saint, you're an ain't. ching be a saint. A saint means set apart for God. It means to be a Christian. So Christians are to gather together. Jesus to gather together with God's people. He made it a habit. In Luke chapter six, there's a parallel passage. It also tells us, Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching in church that day. There was a man there whose hand was withered. Luke chapter six tells us it was his right hand. So that's the right hand is the predominant hand for most people. So that would mean no work or very, very limited work. It's it's impacting his family life. It's impacting his income. It's impacting everything. Now, Jesus goes into the synagogue, and we need to remember that he had already experienced a lot of opposition from religious rulers. Guess where the religious rulers were? In the synagogue. So Jesus knows, I believe, going into the synagogue, he's walking in to an adversarial situation. He already knows that. We saw back in Mark chapter 2, Remember the man, the paralytic man? They lowered him down through the roof because they couldn't get in through the door. Jesus said, My son, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes were there. They said, Who can forgive sins except God? And Jesus said, What do you think is easier to say, tell a man, pick up his bed and walk, or for, your sins are forgiven? But to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, that I am God, pick up your bed and walk, and so on. And they objected to that because Jesus was identifying himself as divine, rightly so. So there was opposition there. They were pushing back. They didn't believe that God could be a man, that God would come in the form of man. They also disapproved of Jesus because he ate dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. The hyper-religious man-made religion people didn't like that. They thought if you were religious, there are certain people that you just never, ever hang around with. And so they disapproved of Jesus for that. So him to go into the synagogue, you guys, I believe was an act of obedience to his father. The Bible says that Jesus was full of the, full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but all, he was also fully man. And you need to understand something. He was being led by the, by the Spirit of God. It's kind of a weird thing to think that, the, that God would lead God. But... As, as the God-man, Jesus set aside many of his divine attributes and part of that was having full knowledge of all things all the time. He was a spirit-led man obeying the will of his Father in heaven who was saying, I want you to go back into that adversarial church and I want you to go on and teach there and I want you to do what I'm going to lead you to do. All I'm saying is this, this whole thing happens because Jesus was obedient and not afraid to be in a place where he's going to get pushed back. I hate pushback. Probably most of us do. I remember asking years ago, talking about how I don't really love love confrontation. Sometimes it's necessary. And I remember asking the church, I said, I couldn't imagine anybody here that loves confront. Raise your hand if you love confrontation. And this one guy goes... <laughs> he was kind of a brawler, you know. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have asked that, you know. But generally speaking, we don't like confrontation. A lot, Most of us, I think. But Jesus was willing to walk back into that place where he can anticipate it's going to be difficult. Just keep that in mind. We need to remember that this isn't just happening in a vacuum. It's like you may be going, ooh, sorry to say this, to family dinner, holiday family dinner, and it's like, oh, there's Uncle Fred, we always don't get along, you know, that kind of thing. But you're there anyway, okay? You're there anyway. I know some people right now within our congregation struggling with work situations because there's opposition at work. But they go back into it anyway. So, Jesus is walking back into a, an opposing environment. Look at verse 2. And they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The spiritual leaders, the religious leaders, came up from Jerusalem about 80 miles south of Capernaum and they made the journey up there to keep another... They, they were there to spy on Jesus. They want to make sure that he's not there misleading the people, leading the people astray. These guys are the keeper of, keepers of truth. They're there to protect the nation. So they're there to watch out for Jesus and they were there to find things to accuse him of. Now now it's interesting, they watched him closely whether he would heal them on the Sabbath. It's interesting that they had a great expectation that he would do a good thing. The enemies of Jesus had great expectation that he would heal, which is a great thing. May that be so with us, right? May we have an expectation, that Jesus is for us and not against us, and he wants to do good things in our life. They were not there to worship. They were not there to learn. They were there to find fault. They expected Jesus would heal the man. They didn't look upon Jesus with favor but with criticism. They didn't hope for the man's healing. They were there for negative reasons. Look at the application. That's like us coming to church, not hoping that people get blessed, but hoping to find fault with others so that you can criticize them. That's like you waking up on a Saturday night, you're thinking, got to get up early on Sunday morning, can't wait to get to church so I can criticize somebody. <laughs> not here to learn, not here to worship, you're here to, to, to find fault with people. Any one of us can do it. 10% of 90% or 80, 20, 70, it can be in our hearts, any one of us can do it. That's the only reason these guys were here. They weren't there to worship, they weren't there to learn. They traveled 80 miles by foot or on horseback so they could be there to find fault with Jesus, to scrutinize him. Now this whole thing is is pivoting around, look at verse 2. They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, so they might bring charges against him. God had commanded Israel that the Sabbath day was a day of rest. Now you need to understand something. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And the Old Testament was God's agreement with the nation of Israel. And they were a theocracy, which means their government and their religion were, were, to, were mixed together. We are not a, th- a theocracy, obviously, in the United States. What applied to them legally can often apply to us in principle. But it's a different relationship. Same values, but a different relationship. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, Behold, I make a new covenant with you, a new agreement. So the Old Testament was the old covenant. We live in the new covenant. So under the old covenant between God and the Jewish people, this is what it said, Exodus 31, look at your notes. God said to the nation of Israel, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, Whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. This is how serious God was with the Jewish nation. Verse 15, Work shall be done six days. The seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall be surely put to death. Therefore, let the children of Israel keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations. Notice, therefore, let the children of Israel keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. Verse 17, guys, notice this. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This is the world that Jesus was living in. So the religious leaders from Jerusalem, they, they saw that and that's what God said, don't work. And so they like to say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to not work? It's almost as if they were saying, we can't trust people to make up their own minds. We'll make up their minds for them. Which is often what man-made religion does, right? There's no room to think things through or debate. You're just going to do what we tell you. You're going to think the way we tell you to think. So, look down at the bottom of page one. There are man-made traditions regarding the Sabbath. Just going to read this. This is historically documented so. This is, this is how far they took God's intention. God's intention? Have a day of rest. They made it complicated. The religious leaders only permitted Sabbath healing under life or death situations. Man with a withered hand, is that life or death? No, it's not life or death. In their minds, they're thinking, Jesus, if you're going to heal the guy, do it tomorrow. You don't need to do it today. You're going to heal the guy. He can suffer another day. We can delay the blessing of God so that we can keep the rules that we created. Yes, God said don't work on the Sabbath day, but we think healing is working. So therefore, let him suffer another day longer so that you don't violate our rules. That's man-made religion. You guys, with me? In their minds, healing on the Sabbath was a violation and deserving of death. This is what William Barclay, commentator that's really good on history, don't recommend him in other areas. He doesn't believe in the supernatural or in miracles or anything like that, but he's really good for history. William Barclay said this, a woman in childbirth might be helped on the Sabbath. Well, that's nice. (laughs) An infection of the throat might be treated. If a wall fell on anyone, enough might be cleared away to see whether he was dead or alive. If he was alive, he could be helped. If he was dead, the body must be left till the next day. A fracture could not be attended to. So if you break a bone, there's no setting it. Imagine if it's one of those nasty compound fractures. Sorry, have got to wait till the sun goes down. Man-made religion. Cold water might not be poured on a sprained hand or foot. A cut finger might be bandaged with a plain bandage, but not with ointment. That is to say, at the most, an injury could be kept from getting worse, but it must not be made better, and they would even even not defend their own lives on the Sabbath. When the Romans attacked them, they knew they wouldn't resist on the Sabbath day. And so that whole attack on Masada, a lot of that had to do with them being attacked on the Sabbath. Is that what God meant when he said, I want you to take a day of rest? No. But guys, man-made religion takes a good thing from God, God says, Why don't you, you need to take a rest. You need to take a day off. We have the phrase, you're going to work yourself to death. Take a day off. And they made it complicated. They took the principle from God and turned it into a burden for man. And so they were there to criticize and accuse Jesus, not to worship and not to learn. Look at verse 3. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. So who's pushing the agenda here? <laughs> Jesus is pushing the agenda. This is kind of crazy. I've got to get a drink of water, man. He's, I'm getting it all worked up there. Jesus is not afraid to push the agenda when it comes to man-made religion. He's not afraid to take his hands out of his pockets and kind of do this. You know? He's not afraid to do it. He's not even afraid to do it in church. Imagine going to church. You just want to have a nice Sabbath experience. Somebody's going to read the scriptures. We're going to say our prayers. And it's just what we do. And they're talking about truth. And they're talking about, you know, kicking out man-made religion. And they're talking about confrontation. And why is this guy messing up our lives? We just want to go on status quo with our man-made religion. Don't bother us with the truth. Don't upset the apple cart, you might say. Jesus pushes the agenda. This man was greatly hindered, very limited in life. Jesus was ready to heal this man. His life was not in danger. According to the religious rulers, it could have waited another day. But Jesus said, why should it wait another day so that you're happy with your rules? Sorry, lady, I know it's raining, and I know you have a flat tire, but I can't change your flat tire today. Let's come back tomorrow. <laughs> Here's an umbrella. Take your three kids. Walk home. You know, it's that kind of idea. That's, that's man-made religion. And there's other, other twists on it, too. So the, Jesus was... Yeah, he, Jesus, if he wanted to avoid the confrontation, he could have said after church, meet me out back. I mean, he could have done that, you know. Or he could have said, hey, I'll meet you here tomorrow. But Jesus like, it's not just about healing the man, it's about uh, destroying the wrong thinking of those who are making man-made religion, which delays or prevents the blessings of God upon people. Jesus was all about saying, you can't hinder them that way. You can't put bondage on them. You can't hold God back from blessing these people because you don't like the way it's done or when it's done. You can't do that. And it says here in a minute that he was angry and grieved. And so Jesus advances the argument. This was a test by the religious leaders, but Jesus would not back down. He forced the issue for the benefit of the man and for the purposes of God. I was also thinking about, imagine the man. (laughs) You know, he's here with a withered hand. Everybody's just used to him. He's here with a withered hand. And, and does he know Jesus? Probably, because Jesus had already spent a lot of time in Capernaum, and he's like, Jesus is here. I wonder if I can get healed. So part of him is excited, but then he sees the religious rulers over here and goes, man, if he does it today, I'm in big trouble. But man, I can't wait to get healed. But I'm in big trouble with them. Imagine the, the conflict in that guy's mind. I was thinking, man, Jesus, you threw this guy into the bus. You put this guy in a tough situation. But he responded. He, did, he, he, he could have said, no, I'm not going to step forward. Heal somebody else. But he was anxious for the healing. He wanted it. I just thought, man, Jesus, what an interesting thing to do. I'm not even trying to make a point with this. I don't know what the point is. Honestly, I don't, except that Jesus isn't afraid uh, to confront people who are hindering the work of God, even if it's in church. And he's not afraid to invite some guy that's suffering because of man-made religion to step out in front of those people and make it better. I was just thinking, man, you really put this guy in a pickle. Kind of, you know. But it was a blessing. Jesus isn't tame, is he? He's not tame. He's not manageable. Verse 4. If you're going to follow the Lord, you just, you got to know that about him. If it's really him, there's going to be times when he does stuff that you're going to go, wow, this is kind of uncomfortable, but I know that it's right, but it's uncomfortable. That's going to happen. If you want, if you want a comfortable God, take a selfie. <laughs> Put that on the front of some book and just, there's my God right there. I make my own rules. He's going to do things like that. That doesn't mean we have the, 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 the excuse for going around being weird. And creating weird situations. But sometimes when the truth of God is coming out, it's going to be a little awkward to the status quo because everybody had gotten used to people being oppressed. And Jesus was saying, That's not okay. You can't do that to people. Look at verse 4. And he said to them, He just asked them, It's beautiful. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Jesus instigated the confrontation, He was not afraid to make them take a position. He was not afraid to say, I demand an answer from you. What is God's heart on this? And they couldn't answer because their logic was skewed. Their logic was broken. It was twisted. It was wrong. Jesus confronted them and, and, and showed everybody there how wrong their thinking was. Look at Matthew. There's notes there for Matthew 12. In a parallel passage, same, same, same incident, in a parallel passage. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? Well, of course you will. You're not going to let the sheep die. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Is it lawful to do good? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Man-made religion isn't reasonable. It's not truthful. It prevents or delays the good work of God in somebody's heart. I just want you to remember that little phrase: man-made religion prevents or delays the work of God in people's lives. That's what's happening here. They would do for an animal what they wouldn't do for a man. Verse five. So when he had looked around them, when, so when he had looked around at them with anger. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he was stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus got mad. Jesus had a holy anger. This wasn't selfish. It wasn't uh, just emotional. He, he, He wasn't angry because he was offended that they disagreed with him. There was nothing personal about this. He was angry with the anger of God. Their hearts were hard against Jesus and against God's true intentions of God for man. More concerned for traditions than the man. Guys, look at your notes here. Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4 is a passage about the unity of the church. A little, little bit of a rabbit trail, but it ties in. If you read Ephesians 4, it's all about keeping unity in the church, learning to live with one another, learning to work things out, learning to forgive one another, speaking the truth in love, suffering along with each other. about all the the things that we have to do and I really appreciate what Pastor Rob says about this whole idea of church family. Guys, the church, one of of the descriptions of, of, of the local church in the Bible is family and increasingly we need to see each other that way. If God has brought you here and this is your home church, this is family. This is our forever family and I understand blood family and blood relatives and all of that. I understand that But I have unsafe family members and maybe some of you guys do too. I'm going to go out on a limb here for for some people. There There is greater value and deeper commitment among the body of Christ there should be, I believe, than even among family members because of the eternal aspect of it. I'm not saying ignore your family, not love your family. There are going to be times when you should skip church to be with your family. I'm not trying to make all those fine-tuned decisions for you. I'm just saying the eternal aspect of the body of Christ often gets overlooked. Often. And I think God greatly exalts the body of Christ in the local congregation. Ephesians chapter 4 is all about unity in the church. And then at the end of the chapter, Paul starts talking about things that break unity. Lying and and just bad attitudes with with each other. And then you know what he says? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Be angry. When the church can't get along, be mad. Be angry. The, The verb is in the imperative form, which means it's a command. You should be angry about this. You shouldn't be passive that people in church aren't getting along well. It should bother us when people are fighting in the body of Christ. It should bother us. If there's somebody that's unwilling to reconcile or all that, and those things are difficult. I go through them, you go through them. But we should be angry about that. It's a holy anger. It's not, it's not a, a passive uh, uh, compromise that God is saying, "Oh, if you're angry, I guess it's okay. No, he says you should be angry. You should be angry when the church is falling apart because people won't love each other. It's a command, guys. And that's why it's totally legit that Jesus, here, verse 5, he looks around them with anger. Your man-made religion is making this guy's life miserable. We should be angry at that. And he's grieved at the hardness of their heart. Imagine that look. Boy, that's the look you don't want to get from Jesus, right? <laughs> Imagine that look. What did it look like? I mean, it's like laser beams, like... play that Star Wars sound, you know... Zzzz. Man, it was right to be angry. Jesus is angry at man-made religion because it delays and prevents the blessings of God in people's lives. So he's mad, and I think we should be mad about it too. Whenever we confront it, and we shouldn't be afraid to confront it in love, with decency, with respect, with integrity, but with truth. When I hear about people doing stuff in the name of Jesus that is ripping people off. I get mad. You should get mad too. Yes or no? We should be angry at that. And that's what this was about. Being passive doesn't mean you're being godly. Sometimes being passive means you're carnal. There's a place where we should be angry at things. And not sin. Be angry and don't sin. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but the anger of God can produce the righteousness of God. Verse 5 again, going into 6. He looked around them at, He looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Notice the response. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now the Herodians... These were Jews who were influential political supporters of Herod. Let me just read the notes. Herod was the king installed by the Romans at the time. Israel had an occupying force there in Rome. Occupying a foreign government was there running the show. Most Jews hated the Romans who were the occupying force, but the Herodians believed it was better to compromise with them just to keep the peace. The Pharisees were really agitated and against the Romans. The Herodians had a pretend love for them. The Pharisees and the Herodians, guys, never got along. They hated each other, except now. And this is the first time we read in the Gospel of Mark about them planning to kill Jesus. This is, this is how, I just want you guys, don't miss it. Are you, you're not missing it, are you? You guys are smart. I know you're smart, right? Who's smart? You guys are smart here. You guys are listening and you're thinking. This is what confronting man-made religion can cause. This is how entrenched people can be in them saying, this is the way it's going to be for me. Can I tell you guys a story? Yes, Pastor Bill. Thank, Thank Okay. <clears throat> I talked to a church leader one time and I, I, I think I was being angry and not sinning. I'll find out someday. And he was talking about the way they ran their church, and I said to him, the way you run your church is not biblical. This was an older man. It took me a lot to get there. I said, the way you run your church is not biblical. And this is his response. Biblical or not, that's the way we do it. Thank you, I'm glad you got that. Biblical or not, that's how we do things around here. That church no longer exists. They ran themselves into the ground. God couldn't bless it. Man-made religion. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they were so angry that the enemies came together and they said, we have to get rid of this guy that's upsetting our man-made religion. And Jesus was not afraid to confront them about it and talk about it. Challenge them. I want you to look down at the applications down at the bottom of the page. If you have any questions, please text them in. And as we do each week, we're going to end with some music and some time of prayer. And you can stay seated where you're at and pray, or there's going to be people up here to pray for you if you want some prayer. But this is where, this is the the part of the morning where we have to say, okay, how does this apply to me? Because if it doesn't apply to us, guys, we should just go out, go bowling on Sunday mornings or something. We should do something else. If this isn't relevant to our lives today, we're wasting our time unless we just like head knowledge. This has to transform our lives. It has to. So applications, I'm just going to read through it. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, beware of man-made religion. Watch out for it. How do you know if something is man-made religion or not? By knowing your Bible better. There's an old story, a lot of you guys have heard it. When bankers... When tellers are are getting work at the bank, they're trained to to be able to identify counterfeit bills. But the way that they're trained to identify counterfeit bills is by touching the real ones all the time. They touch the real ones all the time. When a counterfeit comes through, it doesn't feel right. How do they know it doesn't feel right? Because they're they're used, they're very familiar with what's true, the real thing. So how do you guard yourself against man-made religion? By knowing your Bibles. By by reading your Bibles. Increasingly growing in your knowledge of God and His ways. Look at your notes. Some man-made religion comes from those that are false teachers and reject the Bible. I think there are many people today that are false teachers. Sometimes it's not what they teach, it's what they leave out. And sometimes what they leave out can create a man-made religion. Some man-made religion comes from our misunderstanding and misapplication of the Bible. Let me read this and I'm going to talk about it. It's possible to have a right view of salvation and a very wrong view of other topics. A Christian can have a partially man-made religion because of lack of knowledge. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, Now, this just occurred to me and I do believe God gave me some insight on it. So I'm just going to share it with you guys. You can be a Christian that has enough knowledge of the Bible to to be absolutely saved, absolutely saved on your way to heaven. But you don't have enough knowledge of the Bible to know how to act in your marriage. I remember counseling some people one time and the guy's favorite verse talked about Abraham um, and Sarah and how Sarah called Abraham Lord, which means master. That was the guy's favorite verse. They're no longer married. He had incomplete knowledge of biblical truth regarding marriage. He, did, he forgot about Ephesians chapter 5, love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He, all he wanted his wife to do was to call him Lord. I'm serious. It was that bad. He had man-made religion. As a Christian, what did it do? It prevented and delayed the blessings of godly marriage in his life and in her life. In fact, he ended up getting arrested for the way he treated his wife. A guy that supposedly was saved, knowing John 3.16, guy had that part right, but he had man-made Christianity. His Christianity wasn't biblical Christianity. It was partial truth about the salvation found in Jesus, and the rest of it was ignorance, and he filled in the gaps. Guess what, guys? When we don't have the truth, we'll fill it in with something else. I knew a Christian, I was telling the guys this morning, we meet at 7.30 for a leadership meeting and just sitting around and reading. I remember going to a church that was really, really big on worship and this guy loved to raise his hands and he told me afterwards he felt so guilty because God deserves everything and he felt so condemned because he couldn't keep his arms lifted for an hour. And I just said, man, it's like God knows your heart and he had man-made religion. God deserves everything. I should be able to lift my arms for an hour. No, you can't. You're not a statue. You're not like the Rocky statue on okay. Philadelphia, you know. You're not, you're not made of concrete. You're just a man. What, what, how would I give him better better counsel? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus understands that you really want to lift your hands for an hour, but you're only good for like 15 minutes, and then you have to take a two-minute break, and then back up again. And It's okay. He had man-made religion. And as a result, he was condemning himself. You guys with me? Some of us, when we sin, we're so aware of our sins, but we're so unaware of the grace of God. We have, we're Christians. We, Jesus is our Savior. But we're so unfamiliar with the doctrines of grace that we condemn ourselves all the time. And we lived under condemnation all the time because we inadvertently, because we don't read our Bibles enough or study them enough, we have man-made religion as Christians. And what's the result? We're preventing and delaying the blessings of God in our lives. I was teaching a Bible study to kids in the 80s. And one young lady came up to me and she said, Bill, I wasn't a pastor yet, so it was just plain old Bill. And plain old Bill is fine. And, and she says, you know, we really love your studies. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And she goes, but we always leave feeling really bad. That's because I'm really good at beating the sheep. That's what shepherds do, right? They just beat the sheep. That's all I was doing. Why? Because I was beating myself. And I determined, I did a nine-part study on the different Greek definitions of sin. I was so into identifying sin, and this and that, you need to know what you're doing, and all of that. And I said, I'm not going to study that anymore. I need to study the love of God. And I just got, I needed a a balance. Up to that point, I was a Christian, but part of my faith was man-made. And as a result, I was beating people up. Because as a Christian, I had man-made religion. Through what? Negligence and and ignorance of the rest of the word of God. Guys, as Christians, it's not just this kind of stuff with the Pharisees. It's us. It's you. It's me. Is your marriage out of balance? And you're responding the wrong way and you're you're trapped in this negative, uh, destructive rut and everything. You have some man-made religion maybe going on because you're not seeing your marriage the way God wants you to see your marriage. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. Wives, respect your husbands for the, for the married crowd in here. That's, that's the biblical balance there. That's, that's God-made religion right there for marriage. Raise your kids to know the Lord, etc. You guys with me? So if we're not studying the Bible and just know enough to get saved, the rest, of, we have to fill in the blanks. How do, I function? How do I function at work? What am I supposed to do about these movies? What, do I, what am I supposed to do with alcohol? How am, I supposed to, am I supposed to be a vegetarian or a meat eater? Or what am I supposed to do with life? Read your Bibles. Because we have to make these decisions, and if we're not getting God's word, then we're filling in the blanks with what—our own noodles. It's man-made noodleology. <laughs> Doesn't do us any good, right? You guys with me? Some of us have been Christians a long time, you know what? But we're still—we're a mile wide and an inch deep in some of the things of God. So we're not reading the word. We need God to reveal his word to us. Jesus wasn't afraid to upset those who were practicing man-made religion. And I just want to say this today. Some of us might be so entrenched in getting used to feeling condemned all the time, it's going to be a shock when Jesus upsets your man-made religion and says, you need to trust me for grace. I can trust you for grace. I'm such a bad person. I know you're a bad person. I know you sin. I see it all the time. I read your mind. I know all that. I died for your sins. Get over yourself, my son. Get over yourself, my daughter. Receive my grace and receive my forgiveness or else you'll just keep practicing your man-made religion and be, del- and be just uh, sad all the time and you're delaying and preventing the blessings that I want to bring to you. I think that's a real big trap, guys. We look at these guys and say, I would never do that. Well, we wouldn't do that. But we do it our own way. <laughs> you guys with me? Yeah. We do it our own way. We don't have to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or the cults or Scientology. We don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about us in this room. The Bible said, if God is for me, who can be against me? Every Christian in the room should believe that. I don't feel, forget your feelings. God says, I'm for you and not against you. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I know but I'm forget that forget your feelings God says I've loved you with an everlasting love therefore with loving kindness I've drawn you to myself I know but I don't feel get over your feelings and accept it in faith I feel so condemned I can't forgive myself Bible not one line of the Bible says you're supposed to forgive yourself that's like going before the judge and saying well your honor I know I'm guilty but I've forgiven myself (laughs) (laughs) who gave you the authority to forgive yourself I'm the one that needs to forgive you. And God forgives us if we're in Christ, right? Right? For God so loved the world that he gave, right? We need biblical Christianity. Dear brothers and sisters, don't practice man-made religion, inadvertently some kind of twisted form of Christianity. Don't do it. Read your Bibles. Finally, Look at the bottom. Number three, man-made religion puts people under bondage. It puts, we put ourselves under bondage. In the book of Acts, they were deciding what to do with the Gentiles. Shall we make them Jews? No. They said there, Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither we or our fathers could bear? We couldn't do this. Why are we going to make life hard for them? We're going to live in the grace of God. Conversely, guys, number four, and we're going to end with this. We need to understand, dear brothers and sisters, please, please take this in, please, please receive this. Understand that the Christian religion, that Jesus, the Christian religion, leads people to Jesus and to freedom. Look at this, 8, John eight thirty one. Look at your notes. Look at your notes. Get your eyes on them. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If we abide in his word, if, if we uh, are, are remembering, if when uh, you're feeling bad because you had a horrible week, and then you're, you're reading uh, Romans chapter 8, and... You know, if if the son gave up, if the father gave up his son for, for us, will he not freely give us all things? And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you're like, oh Lord, I needed this word again today because I'm so ready to beat myself up again. I'm really so ready to condemn myself. Or uh, I can sin and God really doesn't mind and this and that. And but the Bible says you're reading and it says, be holy for I am holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Oh man, I can't give myself that freedom. It works both ways. Our man-made Christianity can put us in bondage. Our man-made Christianity can put us in danger of falling away from the Lord. That's why we need to be in His Word, right? You guys with me? New Year's coming. We don't make New Year's resolutions, but if you did, not a bad one to make to read the Bible this next year.